So how many in here have ever had maybe a, a, a pastor, a teacher, somebody, you know, of spiritual influence in your life that they started out, you know, it started out good and then their teaching, it just started kind of going awry. And, and at some point you realized, like, I don't, I can't follow this person anymore. I can't listen to their teaching, and, and not in a, you know, a personal I don't like you kind of thing, but literally their teaching just started to become unbiblical. It's a hard process. It really is. It's not an easy process when you start to realize, like, I don't think they're speaking truth anymore. They, they used to, but they don't, you know, when did it happen? And, and if you've gone through that process, you know the feeling of, you know, you hear one thing and you're like, eh, I don't know. But, you know, the other stuff's all been so good that I'll just let it pass. And then you hear something else. And after a while, you start to get that feeling kind of in your stomach and in your spirit that's just, this isn't good. Something's wrong. And the, the, the discernment given by the Holy Spirit starts to kick in. And you're like, you know what? I don't, I don't think we're talking about the same God anymore. I don't think we're reading the same Bible. And I don't think I can listen to this teaching anymore because it's no longer lining up with the truth. It's something that all of us have to be aware of. If, if you've not gone through that, then you are blessed. Okay, you're, you're in a good place. You, God has, has really uh, provided and, 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 you know, you've walked with him and, and been fortunate. Uh, most people will encounter some kind of false teacher in their life that you know, for whatever reason, their message seems to resonate early on, and then it just kind of starts going downhill. And it's always a hard thing because most of the time, false teachers like this start their teaching, they start in a way that really appeals to you. You know, they speak a heart language. There's something that, man, they connect, and you're like, yes, oh, man, this person really gets it. They are with me. And they know, I mean, they're just, yeah, they're helping me to see the truth. And, and so you really kind of attach to them. And then, you know, as they start to turn away from the truth, it's, it's kind of heart-wrenching. Because you're like, mm, nope, I, you know, I really like this person, but I, I can't handle this teaching anymore. I can't handle this, what's turning into heresy. And we don't want to, you know, we want to give goodwill, right? We, we don't want to just be that person that's looking for something wrong in, in, in every other person's teaching and, and fault-finding, but... You know, there is a line that eventually, you know, it just goes too far. And we have to make the decision in ourselves to break free, you know, to kind of cut the cord and, and move away from it and, and say, nope, I got to get back to Scripture. I got to stay here. I, I can't go with you on whatever this weird journey you're going on. Uh, I, I can't do it. And, and so really that is exactly what happened with the church here that John is writing to. There were some false teachers that came up from inside the church. And you know, one of the things that we must realize is what is the greatest threat to our walk with Christ? Is it the enemy without or the enemy within? It is the enemy within. Far more damage is done to the church in our country and everywhere, by false teachers and false prophets than has ever been done by people who oppose the church outside the church. 
far more damage. And so in, in some ways, 1 John is written to address how do we handle these false teachers. Now, John always has a unique way of doing things, a unique way of, of voicing things, and so sometimes that kind of gets missed. But this week, he really starts to address directly those who he, whom he calls antichrists. Now, that is, could you be any more blunt about a false teacher? You know, he doesn't just say, well, you know, they're trying and they made a mistake. You know, give them another chance. So it, well, he, he calls them antichrists. <laughs> and and he, he ties it in t- later to the spirit of the antichrist, Satan in the world. And he wants us to know this is a real problem. This is a real threat. And it's a real thing that we have to stand up against. Now, he doesn't want us living in paranoia. He doesn't want us living in fear. And he doesn't want us turning into fault finders. And so he's very careful with how he teaches his readers to go about discerning, resisting, and moving forward in their faith despite the false teachers. And so listen with me today in 1 John chapter 2, verses 18 through 21. And this is really just kind of part one. Uh, it's kind of a bigger section, and I didn't want to try to tackle it all in one sermon. And so this week and next week really kind of go together as part one and two of this. But he says in verse 18, children, it is the last hour. And as you have heard that antichrist is coming, so now many antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they all are not of us. But you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you all have knowledge. I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and because no lie is of the truth. So, he starts out with an interesting phrase here that oftentimes gets misinterpreted. And that is, he says, it is the last hour. And then he uses the phrase, Antichrist. What comes to mind when you hear those words? Yeah, the end of the world, right? I mean, it's in chaos and left behind and Tim LaHaye and and all of that stuff. Okay? That's not what he's going for. Okay? So, we get to have a bit, and I mean a small end times teaching here, but I'm not going to go off into the weeds of this. Uh, because the whole point of what he's doing is he doesn't want people living in paranoia and, and, you know, thinking, oh, okay, this is happening right now. In fact, he's trying to teach them the opposite. He's trying to show them be steadfast. And so there is a truth is that we are in the last hour. They were in the last hour. We are in the last hour. You know what that means? It means in the history of creation, we can look at different moments and eras and times throughout the Bible. There is the time of the garden and creation, right? There is the, the time, the, the pre-flood world after the fall. There's the time of the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The time of Moses and the desert wanderings. There's the time of the judges, the time of the kings, the time of the prophets, the time of captivity and the return from captivity. In each of these eras, God progressively revealed more and more about himself, 
and his plan to redeem the world. Each one had unique revelation about who God was as God continued to progressively reveal himself. And by progressively, I mean just more and more. It started here, and it moved to this, and it moved to this, and it moved further until Jesus arrived on the scene. And what did he say? He said, the kingdom of God is at hand. Everything that all of that was moving towards was fulfilled in Jesus' coming. And so if we look at the entire history of Scripture, if we look at creation as all of creation from beginning to the end that is prophesied in Revelation, Genesis to Revelation, if we look at the chapters of the story, what's left? We're in the last chapter. Right now, we're in the last. This is it. God isn't going to do anything else substantial in terms of he created, sending the the prophets, sending the kings. I mean, each of those was revealing something more. It, It all culminated in Jesus Christ's death and resurrection. So in the entire story, what's left to happen? Christ's return in the judgment, which is what? That's the end of the story. New story begins, new heaven, new earth. So when he says we're in the last hour, he's saying we're in the last moment of God's history. Now, when you start the last chapter of a book, can that last chapter be long? Could it even be the longest chapter in the book? It could be. He's not saying that people should live in this almost anxious paranoia that Christ might be here. Right now is the last hour. And there are commentators that even believe that John expected Jesus to return at any moment. I don't believe so. Because Jesus himself in the New Testament gives us three distinct signs that must happen before Christ returns. Three. Jesus said that the gospel would be preached in the entire world. That still has not happened. There are people who have not yet, people groups, okay, entire nations, entire groups of people who have not yet heard the gospel preached. That window is closing, but it still exists. Two, he says, the love of many will grow cold. And the apostle Paul talks about a great apostasy. There will be a great turning away from the faith of Jesus Christ. Why? God, or Jesus said, due to the increase of lawlessness, Paul says, the man of lawlessness will be revealed, meaning the Antichrist. So until those three things happen, Jesus isn't coming back. Now, I know that that may sound very different from what a lot of you have been taught. Okay, And if you're freaking out right now and you're like, you were just talking about false teachers. I think you are one. Breathe. Okay, I promise I am not turning away from Scripture, nor from the gospel, nor will I ever. But these are clear things that Jesus said and Paul talked about that they have to happen before Jesus comes back. Those three things have not happened yet. And so what John is doing is he says, we're in the last hour. Yes, we are here. And you've heard that this this guy, the Antichrist, which is Satan incarnate copying the Christ, Coming is, is coming into the world. So he's affirming that, yes, you've been taught correctly. You know this is happening. But what does he say? He says, but 
there are many antichrists that have already come. He wants them to understand that there is a flow of things now that will happen during this last hour, during this last chapter, that we need to be aware of. And that's where he says, children, it is the last hour, and as you have heard, that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Now, what's he talking about right here? He is equating false teachers with Antichrists. Now, he's not the Antichrist, but guess what? They're doing the exact same types of things, just on a lesser scale. When the Antichrist shows up on the scene... He's going to fool the entire world into thinking he's God. He's going to come with false signs and wonders. He's going to take people away from the gospel and focus on him. And so anything that takes our attention, any teaching, any person who intentionally takes our attention off of Jesus Christ and onto something else, John is saying is an antichrist. Anything, anyone who gets us to focus our faith, our hope on anything other than Jesus Christ is an antichrist. Now, he doesn't say the antichrist. They they all work together to serve one purpose. And eventually, yes, there will be this one character that's going to show up. And and Paul talks about that that there's a restraining force that will be removed in 2 Thessalonians and, and he will come. Okay, Satan will be loosed on earth and it will be bad for a time. But he wants them to realize it's not all just about waiting for that one moment. It's understand there are certain patterns that are going to repeat themselves over and over and over and over again in this last chapter. See, we can see the patterns the way they presented themselves when we look back in the Old Testament, right? What was the pattern In the Old Testament, God blesses them, they excel, they they flourish. What happens when they flourish? They turn away from God, things start going bad. What happens then? God punishes them for some way. And, And understand, all this happens over generations. This isn't like, you know, this week and next week and the week after. Generations. God punishes them. They hit a low. They cry out, God, forgive us. We're so sorry. We'll never do it again. And what happens? God forgives them. He blesses them. They start to flourish again. Repeat ad nauseum. That is the pattern, okay? There's a pattern in the New Testament times that we will see also. And that is what John points out to us. And he says, children, is the last hour. And as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. And then I love this. Therefore, we know that it is the last hour. John says these false teachers are proof that the Messiah that we've entered into this last age, that we've entered into this last chapter, this last hour of God's activity on earth because the activity of the enemy changed. The activity of the enemy started to attack the very truth that had been revealed in Jesus Christ. You see, before that, He didn't know when the Messiah was coming or who the Messiah was going to be. Paul talks about in Ephesians that it was hidden for ages. 
And when it happened, then Satan had to try to stop it, and he couldn't, and he never will be able to. But John says, we know we're in the last hour because Satan has focused his energy on keeping people from hearing Jesus. We see the exact same process today. Nothing has changed. So we're in that same hour that we were before. When John wrote this, we're in the same chapter in which Satan's attacks will come from within the church with false teachers that try to twist and pervert the gospel and keep people from putting their hope in the resurrected Christ. You see, false teachers ignore or twist the truth of the gospel. Okay, false teachers move away from the gospel. They will start in a place that looks like gospel, it sounds like gospel, and yet it's, it's close enough that you can't tell the difference early on. And I mean that. Don't ever feel guilty if a false teacher fools you early on because they will say and do all the right things for a time. The problem is their real teaching cannot bear the weight of life. It cannot bear the weight of Scripture. And in time, it will start to separate and it will eventually move away from the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's when we start to get that discernment in our spirit that says, I don't, I don't like where this is going. This is, this is getting me to place my hope in my own ability this is getting me to place my hope in, in social action outside the church. This is, getting me to, this is getting me to hate people. This is getting me to divide from, from my brothers and sisters in Christ. This is causing more depression and anger and, and, and more of my flesh to show up than it is in leading me to faithfulness to Jesus Christ. And when the fruit of it starts to show itself, it gets exposed. And so, listen to what John says in, in 2.19. He says, they went out from us, but they were not of us. So these were people that they knew. As this church started, and it started to grow, and a shared faith experience started to happen, these people slipped in somehow, unnoticed. And they were part of the group. They were loved. They were welcomed. And yet they didn't believe the gospel of Jesus Christ and they started to teach in ways that twisted the truth of the gospel rather than affirm it. And so in doing this, he says, they went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they all are not of us. Now, what he's saying here is that they would have persevered in the gospel of Jesus Christ. A person who is a legitimate teacher of God will always come back to the gospel, will always point you back to Jesus. When he says that, you know, they would have continued with us, it's not saying that, you know, every person is going to be a part of the same congregation forever and never move along. He's saying with them in their faith, with them in their trust in Jesus Christ, with them in the revelation of who Jesus is, that they will never move from the gospel. True believers will continue in the faith unchanged in their life. Now, when I say that, I mean it. 
Now, will you change your mind about things within the faith? Yeah. Yeah. You will. You may lean one way, you know, you, you may be more Calvinistic, you know, at one point, and you may lean Armenian the other. There, there may be things that you, you know, well, I'd, you know, I, I was more traditional. Now I've kind of moved over. There are going to be things we may disagree on. You know, you may believe one thing about the return of Christ, and somebody else may believe something a little bit different. But if we agree on the gospel, and we know that Jesus Christ is the one true Son of God and that salvation is found in no other name under heaven except for Jesus Christ and that you must be born again to see the kingdom of heaven and that Jesus is the only way to be born again. And guess what? You're going to stay there your entire life. That won't change. Yeah, we may change theologically on some what, what I'll call internal matters. You know, things that when we get to heaven, we're all going to go like, oh, okay, now I get it. Wow, because that was way beyond me. Okay, we all got it wrong. Cool. And yet we're together in heaven in front of the risen Lord, worshiping him because we agreed on the gospel. We will persevere in this. And so true believers will continue in the foundation that is laid and never leave it. And you know, there is a movement today in the world. How many of you have heard of the ex-evangelicals? No one, really? Okay, there's one, two, yeah, three, okay. You see, this is, this is something from my generation now. This is one of those proud moments where my generation is like, oh yeah, okay, so we did that. You see, for so long... Really, for the last, uh, what would you say, 30 years, Paul? 30 years, we, we created celebrity culture in the church, right? Celebrity culture, which means we took entertainers and hoisted them up onto platforms as leaders in the church. And you know what a lot of those entertainers are doing now? They're renouncing their faith and saying, I'm not sure I believe this anymore. And they're creating this awesome hashtag online called Exvangelical, where they celebrate that they no longer believe the gospel. And it's weird because what they're saying is, I know I used to lead in this and I was a voice for this, but now I've decided I don't believe it and I'm not sure what I believe, but you should keep following me. Even though I now am admitting I have no idea what I'm talking about. But keep following me because I need to be relevant. Because I need to have that same platform that I used to have that is now gone. They were one of us. They were with us, but they were not one of us. That's what John is saying right here. If a person can celebrate saying, you know, I'm not sure the gospel really works. I just want something more up to date with today. Then, you know, they never understood the gospel to begin with. And I mean that. They never understood it to begin with. Because when you know the gospel of Jesus Christ, you understand there is nothing else. There can be nothing else. And not in a judgmental, we, you know, have the answer and you don't. I mean, it's just like when, when Jesus fed the 5,000 and then they all came back the next day and, you know, they said, hey, we want more food. And he says, no, you got to eat my body and drink my blood if you want to be a part of me. And they're like, ooh, that's gross. We're leaving. And then he looks at the disciples and he says, hey, do you want to leave too? And Peter says, where would we go? You have the words of life. 
That's what a person who genuinely knows and has experienced the power of the gospel has inside, that there is nowhere else that I can go. So whatever theological difficulties I might run into, I know still Jesus is the answer. I know the gospel is the foundation from which all truth must flow. And so, in in one sense, these false teachers, the only way we really know they're false teachers is the fact that over time, they will abandon the faith. It won't start out that way, you know, immediately. It won't. It'll look good. It'll sound good. And man, they'll be right there. And they may even be preaching the gospel. They may even say, Jesus is it. He's the only way. But then somewhere along the line, it just requires too much of them. It requires too much sacrifice. It requires something that they aren't willing to give up like the rich young ruler. And they start to become sad and they walk away. And then they want people to join them because they feel better about their heresy if they can get a group of people around them. And so they start to advertise it. And and listen, Jesus warned us about false teachers and false prophets. And this is why he says we know we're in the last hour because the very words of Jesus are coming true. He says, beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. That again, they were with us, not of us. You will recognize them by their, say it, fruits. What does that mean? What they produce in life. Are they producing disciples? Are they making disciples? Are they leading people to Jesus and and producing for the kingdom of God? Or are they producing their own hashtag of exvangelical? What are they producing in life? And he says, so every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. Now, here's the thing. To think about understanding fruit, that takes time, right? Uh, How long does it take a tree to grow before it starts bearing fruit? It can take a while. It may not ever bear fruit. You know what? There's, there's a sign there too. If a tree just keeps growing but it never bears fruit, you know, it's not healthy. And so Hebrews 13, 7 through 9, we have the same kind of reminder. He says, remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. And right here, consider the outcome of their way of life. Look at what it produces. And then he says what? If it produces good fruit, Imitate their faith. Did he say imitate them? No. What did he say? Imitate their faith. Where was their faith? In Jesus Christ. Their faith was in the gospel and what God has done for us through Jesus. Because, and I love this, he says, and imitate their faith. Verse 8, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. You can imitate their faith because the Jesus they believe in is the Jesus you need to believe in because he never changes. Nothing changes. And so he's letting us know, you know, we always use this about the immutability of God, and and I've used it. Hey, God doesn't change. Jesus doesn't change. But he's also saying the gospel doesn't change. Anybody who's trying to sell you a different gospel is lying to you. 
Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He is the only way to heaven. He is the only one who can bring you new life. He is the source of all truth and all life, and he is the judge that will one day return again. That will never change. Not in one inch. And so that's why he says, verse 9 then, do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings. Don't let anything take you away from the gospel. He says, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace. The grace found in the gospel. The grace found in the sacrifice, the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. The grace that is offered us through Jesus Christ will strengthen us to take us through all the trials of life. You don't, one of the things that false teachers will always do is convince you you're missing out on something. Yeah, we believe in Jesus and. There's no Jesus and. There's Jesus. That's it. Okay, there's a great book that I've read before. It's called Jesus Plus Nothing Equals Everything. You don't need anything else. The gospel of Jesus is sufficient for all life and afterlife. You don't, you're not missing out. And so the emphasis of both of these passages we just looked at is on the outcome, the fruit of the way of life. A false teacher will bear bad fruit. A good teacher will bear good fruit. And it will all come back to what do they do with Jesus? Do they point you to Jesus or are they pointing you to something else? You see, it's the outcome of life that reveals where our faith is in, where our faith is placed. What is it built on? You know it's built on the right foundation when the right fruit starts to come out, when they refuse to abandon the gospel of Jesus Christ, when they refuse to to put their hope in anything else other than Jesus. You see, we make this so secondary sometimes. It's like, well, yeah, you believe in Jesus, but but, but are are you Calvinist? And if we start making things like that, a a matter of fellowship, we've missed the point. And I'm not knocking Calvinism, but I'm just saying that's a secondary issue to the gospel. We are built and our foundation is on the gospel of Jesus Christ. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whosoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. That will never change for all eternity. And so John, he wants them to recognize this because, look, let's just be honest. They probably experienced friendship with these false teachers. You know, these people probably were very kind and and they were a part of the family, if you will. And, And now that they're teaching false things and they've left the church, there's probably confusion. It's like, what happened? Did we do something wrong? Did we, I mean, there's probably confusion. And so John is writing to them to fix this confusion, to let them know, like, no, you didn't do anything wrong. They did. If they had been one of us, they would have stayed with us. Now, one of the things to realize with this also is this was not the age where, yeah, I don't like this church. I'm going to go across the street to the other one. There was one church. That was it. Like in a town there was the group of believers, and they met together. They, if you didn't hang with them, you weren't part of them. You couldn't just, you know, change your membership somewhere else. That's a modern thing that's kind of weird that, you know, doesn't make sense to me still, but 
It's just something that's there. They didn't have that. So when they left, that was a real statement of we reject you and your beliefs. They weren't just going somewhere else where it's like, well, you know, we kind of like the music over here better. That, that didn't exist then. And so he's helping them find their foundation again of like, no, you didn't do anything wrong. They did. If they had really believed in the gospel, they'd still be with us. And so he says the hard part out loud. They were never really one of us. And that's hard. That's a hard thing to like come to grips with of like, man, I was friends with this person. They said the right things. They did all this. And then they didn't. And it was confusing. And John just says, look, they were never part of it. They were with us, but they were not of us. They didn't have the spirit of God. And so once he establishes that, he establishes them. And I love this. this is, John is such a pastor. He, he loves people. You see that in, in the, the gospel of John. He's called the disciple whom Jesus loved. He, he is so much about us loving each other, and he loves these people dearly. Now listen to what he says. In verse 20, he says, But you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you all have knowledge. Could there be any better encouragement in this moment than that? They weren't of us. They didn't know God, but you do. You know God, and that's why you have rejected what they have taught. That's why you know what they are saying is wrong. That's why they left is because you wouldn't go along with them. You remained steadfast. And so in verse, verse 21, he says, I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it and because no lie is of the truth. He says, I'm writing to you because you stayed, because you were faithful, because you proved that you believed in the gospel and not something else. This is an incredible encouragement to them because he's revealing that they remain steadfast in the truth and refuse to go along, and it's proof that the Holy Spirit was with them. And it's proof they're not missing out on anything. Whatever strange thing these people are teaching, what does he say? He says, you have knowledge. You know the truth. You have everything you need in Jesus. You don't need anything else. Notice John never writes, and he's like, oh, yeah, by the way, there's something you've been missing. No, he just encourages them in the foundation of the truth. He encourages them in the foundation of the faith. Love each other. Remain steadfast in what you heard from the beginning. Nothing has changed. Just keep going. Walk in Him. And so what we find in this is that faith, true faith, flows from the truth. When we believe the gospel, and the gospel is truly our foundation, not just a means to something else, but the means and the end in itself. Did you know that? The gospel is the means and the end. The same faith that saved you is the same faith that's going to carry you, is the same faith that's going to grow you, is the same faith that's going to be rewarded in the end. Nothing will change. You'll change. You'll grow. You'll go deeper into it. You'll understand it better. But the truth that you believed on the day of your salvation will not be any different when Jesus Christ returns to judge the living and the dead. The same faith that saved you is the same faith that will carry you. 
We never outgrow the gospel. We never need something else. We never need anything else to make it work. We just have to grow in it and build our life on it. And so there's a deep truth here. Faith that flows from the gospel of Jesus Christ leads to the fruit of the Spirit. Anything else leads to the works of the flesh and will eventually fail. Now, we've all experienced that. As embarrassing as it is to admit, we've all experienced where we've, for a time, I'm not saying we, you know, abandoned the gospel, we didn't become heretics, but we did get into the flesh thinking, okay, I'm going to improve myself. And we get legalistic about, I'm going to read the Bible every day and I won't sin anymore. And we work hard at it, right, for like 12 minutes. And then our flesh rebels and we fall and we're like, why am I so weak? You know why? Because you got into your flesh. You tried to accomplish a spiritual truth in your flesh and that's doomed to failure every time. Every time. That's what Paul meant in Romans 7 when he said, that what I want to do, I don't do, and the things I don't want to do, I I do, and who will say? He's saying when he tries to accomplish righteousness in his own flesh, that's the same process that will play out for everybody for all eternity. That's why we put our faith in the gospel and in Jesus Christ and what he did for us because that is by faith, and in faith, we have life. In faith... We have power. That's why Paul meant, he says, I would rather rejoice in my weakness. When I'm weak, then I'm strong. Because when I'm weak, I stop relying on myself, and I start relying on the gospel, and that's enough. When he's relying on the gospel, what is it? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. See, there's a huge difference right there, right? Those things I want to do, I don't. I can't do it, and I keep doing the things I don't want when he's in the flesh. When he's in the spirit, when he's following the spirit of God, it's no longer I who lives, but Christ who lives within me. And the life I live in the flesh, I live for to to glorify him who who died for me. I live for the Lord Jesus. You see, there's a whole different world right there when we walk by faith. And we live by this same thing. And so, one of the easiest ways to expose a false teaching is to ask this. Does this point me to Jesus in his righteousness, his death and resurrection, and to his return? Does it lead me to focus on Jesus or to focus on anything else? Because anything is anything, it doesn't matter. If it's not focused on Jesus, it's doomed to failure. It will be exposed for what it is in the end. It will be burned up. It, it will be consumed. It will be gone. It will collapse under its own weight. And so our faith only grows through Jesus and the Holy Spirit, which is why we stay focused on the gospel. Now, listen to what Hebrews again says in chapter 13, 2 and 3. It says, looking to Jesus, the founder and what? What does a perfecter do? Perfects, makes things complete, makes things whole, makes things perfect. You aren't enough to make your faith grow. You can't grow your faith. Only Jesus can. So what does he say? He says, look to Jesus, the founder, the author, the start, and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him. That means think about it. Meditate on it. Deep thought. Really dig in mentally. 
Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. How do we withstand the attacks of the enemy in this world? Consider Jesus. Look to him. How do we grow in faith? Look to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. How do we expose false teachers? Compare it to Jesus. Compare it to the gospel. Is this leading here? Because, listen, today, false teachers abound. And I'm telling you, with the Internet, with, with everybody's got a platform, there are some weird, weird teachings out there now. And so if you, and I mean this, if you can listen to somebody three or four times and never hear the gospel, I say turn them off. They've probably given in to the self-help or, or whatever social gospel, whatever nonsense that's out there today. But if you don't ever hear the gospel and a call to repent and a call to be born again or a call to refocus your life on Jesus as the source of all life, if they don't explain the gospel and it's imperative nature to our faith, if you can listen to them for three or four sermons, I'm not saying every sermon has to have it, but man, it better be close. You better not be able to listen to a person and quote them consistently and hear them and they never get to the gospel. If they don't do that, it's heresy. They're focusing on something else. Turn them off and find a gospel teacher that will focus on Scripture and the kingdom of God and the work of Jesus in his death and resurrection. Because we have people chasing running in circles endlessly right now, trying to improve themselves, trying to find the good life, trying to turn this world into heaven, trying to, to correct every injustice that the world will ever face and establish heaven on earth, and it's just not going to happen. Or trying to be so morally perfect that they never make a mistake and they become so legalistic that they're so angry that they love God. And it doesn't make sense. All of that falls under its own weight. Only the gospel can stand. And when our faith is in what Jesus has done for us, what he has provided for us, what has he provided? Righteousness, eternal life. My righteousness isn't found in me, it's found in him. And when I understand that, I'm free from self-righteousness because I'm like, I ain't got any. But in Jesus, I am righteous. I am forgiven and I am righteous. And my identity is found in Christ and nowhere else. That's how we avoid the enemy within. That's how we expose the enemy within is through the gospel of Jesus. Let's pray. Father God, thank you. God, thank you that you have given us a sure foundation in the gospel. Thank you that you have given us new life in Jesus Christ, that you have provided righteousness and forgiveness and grace through Jesus Christ. And God, may we always remember that the gospel is sufficient for all things. God, that it isn't the gospel and then something after we're saved. It's the gospel and only the gospel for all of eternity. God, help us to focus on you through Jesus. God, help us to preach the gospel to ourselves daily that we might not grow faint-hearted or weary. That our thoughts would be about considering Jesus who endured hostility on our behalf. That we wouldn't be taken in. God, we have knowledge. We know the gospel. And so God, help us to rest in it 
and to be firm and secure in the gospel so that false teachers don't get a foothold in our lives, in our spirits. God, that we wouldn't have worthless pursuits, but God, that we would find life in you. God, strengthen our faith. Lord Jesus, strengthen our faith as we look to you. It's in your holy name we pray together. Amen.